Do you have that one piece of clothing you keep going back to, no matter how full your closet is? Having a versatile, high-quality favorite feels great, but having a whole closet of them feels even better. American Giant puts the quality, durability, and comfort they're famous for into everything, from T-shirts and jeans to sweatshirts and jackets, and of course, their legendary best hoodie ever. So you can fill your wardrobe with the pieces that will get you through your spring days. Like the lightweight joggers and pullovers in the French Terry collection, or the rich and polished premium slub crew tee. Whether you're dressing for work, the gym, or happy hour, American Giant makes something that's sure to be your next closet go-to. And it's all made in America and designed to last a lifetime. Find a closet staple for every part of your day at American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com. Promo code staple two zero. Hello and welcome to Talking Transfers, a brand new show from the 90min Podcast Network. I'm Scott Saunders, joined by 90min's transfer correspondent, as always, Graham Bailey. This is a brand new weekly show where we'll dig into the latest on the futures of the biggest names in world football, be it managers or players. And on today's edition, we're also joined by 90min writer and editor, and also part of the Tottenham Oh What A Night podcast for 90min, Sean Walsh. Sean, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. That was a good intro. That'd take me about three takes to try and do that. Do you know what? I do two podcasts <laughs> a week now, right? And I'm kind of reading it off a screen in the back. We, we don't, I, I don't have to do video for this. <laughs> so I don't even have to look down the camera lens. So it's, it's great. And Graham, obviously, Graham, you're here as well. How are you doing, mate? Morning, morning. Yes, I'm not too bad, thank you. I'm still licking my wounds as a Middlesbrough fan as our Premier League dream seems to fade uh, down the Humber after a humbling home defeat to Hull City and... Uh, the less said about Joe Lumley, the better. <laughs> <laughs> Another year, Graham. They'll be back. Don't worry about it. Another year. But today we'll get into a bunch of different topics. We've got Sean on for a Christian Eriksen section uh, related to a piece that Sean's put out on 90min.com about Christian Eriksen's future with Brentford. We'll talk to him all about what type of player Christian Eriksen actually is now because Sean's had a, the fortunate opportunity to watch him up close on several occasions over the last few weeks. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about Manchester United because we always have to on this show because they're never too far from the headlines. Latest on the manager, Darwin Nunes has been targeted by them as well. And we're putting that out on 90 mincom today. So you can have a read of that. And we'll also do some talking around the topic of United's potential next striker. And we'll also tie in Spurs because there's a little bit of interest from them as well, just to bring Sean back in because Sean is obviously on the Tottenham podcast and goes to see goes to see Tottenham quite frequently and we'll also talk about Manchester City as well and the contract latest on a trio of players Ryan Mahrez, uh, Raheem Sterling and Gabriel Jesus who are out of contract in just over a year's time and there's other players like Ilkay Gundogan and Fernandinho who have uncertain futures too but let's get into Christian Eriksen to start with and Sean I will come to you first because you as I mentioned just now have had the opportunity to see a lot of Christian Eriksen up close over the last few weeks since he's joined Brentford. Uh, now, we'll get into the report in a minute, but what type of player from your perspective has he become, obviously, with a, such a long period out? Obviously, we all know why, uh, with the health scare that he had. What kind, of, what kind of player is he nowadays compared to the player you watched at Tottenham? I think the, the player now is a little bit fitter than the player who was at the back end of Tottenham because I think he was... One- one of several players who, the Pochettino, who was really reliable fitness-wise. So he played every single game. He didn't get like, these kind of like muscle injuries or tears or anything like that. 
but that kind of meant the flip side is that because he was playing all the time, he was tired. And by the time that um, he was into his last 12, 18 months at Tottenham, he just looked shattered all the time, but he was just kind of playing through that barrier. Whereas now, um, this is something that um, Brentford manager Thomas Franks talks about quite a lot, like having a heart attack, obviously that's really awful, but it's not something that will that they believed at least would have affected his fitness in terms of just being able to get up and down the pitch if they think that the ICD is going to work and it has worked. Um, he looks just fish, um, fitter, sharper, and I think he's really relishing seeing a lot more of the ball in a deeper position for a Brentford team who, you know, they won six Premier League games all season before they arrived. He started four matches for them and they've won all four. And I, that is not a coincidence. Like the way that they can progress the ball up the pitch is just so much easier. You always think that he's going to ha- make something happen. If there's a shot, if it's a pass, if it's a cross, the, you feel safer when it's with him. And I think there's this, there's definitely a reason that these other clubs will be sniffing around trying to see if he wants to leave Brentford this summer. Yeah, definitely. Graham, I'll just jump to you for a second there. Uh, along the same lines, really, of uh, what you've made of Christian Eriksen since he's been back. Yeah, I think it's been an amazing turnaround. I must admit, I, I was struggling to take him seriously in January when he went to Brentford. And I think a lot of people from the outside presumed, yeah, is this a... Um, is this a forward to him retiring? Is he going to have a couple of years at Brentford and just not dilly-dally around, but, you know, just put his feet up a little bit and just dictate things from there. But I've been really, really impressed. And, and a lot of that does go to Thomas Frank and the way Brentford play as well and, and how serious we've got to take Brentford now. And, yeah, and they're probably the masters of their own downfall here. And, and he's playing so well that we are seeing these other clubs come in now and to get... And he is a world-class performer. He really is. And I think he's underlined that way he's come in a few weeks training into a team he didn't know. And he's just, you know, he's taken Brentford to another level. He really has that one. It does show for some of these teams in the middle of the Premier League or below, one player doesn't make a team, but can make a, a massive difference. It really can. And you've seen with this Brentford, they're a good team, but now they're a very good team with Christian Eriksen. And unfortunately for them, now they're going to, they're reaping what they're sowing. And it looks a very tough ask for them to keep him now in terms of their budget. Not that they couldn't, but are they going to smash their wage budget to, to pay him what some other clubs can? I'm not so sure. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we've seen teams in the past who have come up and really struggled to score goals, whether that be through, you know, a reliable centre forward or whatever. But Christian Eriksen has always been a cut above and to lift Brentford up from the kind of struggling position that they were in. There was talk a few weeks ago of them being dragged into the relegation battle, for example, and now they are not going down because of this run that they've had. They've won at Chelsea in one of their most famous victories ever. And Christian Eriksen's had a big part to play in that. So, Sean, I'll throw it back to you here because obviously we put a, a story out on nightman.com today. Uh, we're recording this on Tuesday about the battle that Brentford have on their hands to convince Eriksen to sign a new contract beyond the end of the season because the deal obviously does run until the end of June. Uh, but there are other clubs interested uh, and Eriksen's stock has risen again. You know, there were obviously doubts around whether he would be able to cope with the physical demands of, you know, Premier League football and football in several leagues across the country and across Europe. But obviously he's put, you know, he's put it on notice to other clubs that he can still do this job. So is there, what, what's the latest on the Brentford uh, contract situation with Christian Eriksen, Sean? Um, they've been, 
if Thomas Frank gets asked about it every single week, and I think is it co- you asking all the time? <laughs> <laughs> it's not me. It's not me asking. Um, but he just kind of just shoots it right back. And he says that he has no reason to believe that Christian's unhappy at the club. Um, the, in his last press conference, he actually said it was realistic to think that Ericsson would stay, but he wasn't going to talk about um, the contract matter until the end of the season. Um, within the club, they, don't, they do feel like at least quite hopeful that he will stay. But, you know, as Graham said, are, are they willing to smash their wage structure to keep this one player? It doesn't feel very... Brentfordy, you know, when you think about their model of, you know, they buy low, sell high, would it make what sense? What do we for think them? their top earners on, Sean, roughly? Do we think it's about Tony on 50, 60, do we think roughly? Yeah, I was thinking Tony around 50k maybe. Like, I'm assuming that a lot of these players got um, wage hikes automatically once they got promoted mm. from the championship. They do have a lot of internationals now, usually for Denmark, I should say, though. But that's that's the thing but as Scott said with these promoted teams and Brentford particularly, and especially being in London, they can they can attract these players now. So mm. they're gonna have to make that decision soon. When did do you think Brentford will do it this summer or the summer after maybe that they got to make that decision, don't you, where you move from a from a promoted budget to a Premier League budget? And that is a big step, isn't it? Well, Graham, we ran a story in the winter about how they were willing to spend around 40 mil on mm. new players in January just to and that was a big one afloat. and that wasn't just one player like that's one player but for Brentford that yeah. was a big mm. a big push for a couple of players but they weren't they didn't do anything silly, and that's the one thing about Brentford isn't it Sean they are very meticulous they won't just they didn't that that 40 million which was available to Thomas Frank he didn't just throw it around willy-nilly he had targets they didn't get it and, and they went without mm. and I do think that there is a lot of risk reward stuff for what they do. I know so now it doesn't feel very Brentfordy if they were to just smash their wage bracket. But say we don't we don't think that this is going to be about necessarily just about the money, do we? No, no. So there's a lot of other factors in it. When he moved to Brentford, he said that this was like a like an all-round kind of decision. His family were quite happy to move back to London. Mm-hmm. He knew he's worked with Thomas Frank before. He knows players from the Denmark setup in the Brentford team. If it came down to just these kind of minor factors and Brentford do offer him not necessarily like an eye-watering sum but just a sum that's like their record by some way maybe maybe it there's scope for him to stay I don't think it's I don't think the doors could like shut or anything like I'm not saying that he definitely won't be there next season but it does feel like the big one bit of the teams that are interested does feel the big elephant in the room is Tottenham but as we've talked about Graham um does would he want to go back to Tottenham because of how it ended? Yeah, it's con- I think it's a Conte thing, isn't it, Sean? With the um, you know, he he managed to get the best out of him after he struggled at the start, didn't he? Into but then he came mm, yeah, into it. Yeah. Conte won him over with his system. So I do wonder whether it's that Conte factor that if Conte persuades him that he says so it might be good news, I suppose. You know, if 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 they managed to get Ericsson, it would be a sign that Conte is definitely staying. So I do wonder. Do you think Sean with Ericsson though? It's just he has surprised himself a little bit the way he's come back and he's just taken to Premier League football like a duck to water again. Do you think he surprised himself a little bit? Really hard to say because I think this he was always a player who just always kind of got his head down and got on with things. And I think he said in his unveiling press conference, like he knew like a couple of days after he had a, his ah, after he had his heart attack that he wants to play football again. He wasn't just going to give up. He wasn't going to retire. Um, I think that he would have backed himself. I think that 
he would have looked at the kind of structure around him again. This comes to why he joined Brentford. I think he definitely believes that he can play at that level. And again, this comes to say Spurs get top four, say they're a Champions League club again. I think that he would back himself to do well in the Champions League again. But yeah, it's it's weird with Spurs because Conte said at the start of January, he got asked about um, Ericsson's condition and would Spurs enter the running for him. And he basically said, um, the door is open for him to train with us. And then a month later, I think after he maybe played one or two games, he kind of opened the door to a reunion as a player. So I think they were definitely caught unaware that he was still had it in him. Um, but David uh, Moyes said from... similar as well, didn't he? David Moyes, I think a few managers, mm, mm. obviously, they weren't they weren't willing to pull the trigger, were they? Yeah, and it's it's completely understandable. But Brentford were the ones to take that risk. Maybe that comes into Eric's decision making when it comes to it. Um, just speaking from a Spurs perspective, I think that I'm in the minority of Spurs fans, Spurs reporters, whatever, that think that they shouldn't go for him. I know that he'd be a free transfer, and a good value for money. He won't necessarily need to play all the time. I just think that Spurs are trying to cling on to what's left of the Pochettino era and they just really need to move on from that because in the entire time that Ericsson was at Tottenham, he never had competition for his place. And that was always a like a criticism whenever he had bad spells of form. It was like, oh, he's only doing this because he doesn't have anyone fighting for his position. He didn't have that extra motivation. And then it came to the end, you know, he was getting he was getting booed at home matches a lot. Just not not without doing anything wrong, just for being there, being subbed on, just getting on the ball, whatever. And I do think now, you know, kind of Spurs fans looking at this as like a fairy tale thing. I think it's better for Spurs to admire it from afar and to remember the good that he did do before rather than go back in and because there's no guarantee that, you know, next season, season after that he's still going to be playing at this kind of level either. What are Spurs fans just kind of get angry at him again. And I just think, move on, find a different playmaker target. That's why I think. Graham, uh, regarding Ericsson, obviously we've put in the report, uh, which you can check out on nightmare.com, obviously, that Aston Villa, Crystal Palace, Everton, Newcastle and West Ham are all looking into offering Ericsson a contract this summer, um, along with Fulham. Obviously, we just talked about Tottenham there as well. Is it fair to say, Graham, that Ericsson is looking to stay in the Premier League? Yeah, I've been told he definitely England is where he wants to be. He won't entertain going abroad. And as Sean said, he's very at home in London. I do wonder whether the likes of Palace and West Ham might be dark horses in this race. Uh, you know, the chance to stay in the capital um, rather than go elsewhere. But yeah, it'd be interesting to see what he thinks. Obviously, he, before when when your very old Manchester United were linked in the past, he, he didn't show a fondness wanting to move up north at that stage, but I guess he's got a new, literally a new lease of life now, so I, I do wonder whether he'd be willing to go elsewhere. I suspect he would, and I think it'll be more for the footballing thing now. He knows he's only he's only just turned 30, and that's the impressive thing, you know, this guy, this is one player who we all th- probably not speak on the other but I imagine we think he can play at top level till he's about 36, 37. He's that type of player with silky skills. They're not going to diminish. So I don't think it's a risk Taking taking him, but yeah, he will be he will be staying in England. I'm sorry, that's a hundred percent. He's going to stay in England. You just mentioned uh, Manchester United there, Graham. We should probably move into them and our inevitable United section. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I might have said it before. We need a little jingle to go into this section because <laughs> it's just going to be United every week. I would imagine. Is there any potential route for Ericsson to to United? 
I don't see why not. Obviously, I was talking to you guys on the show. You know, we're talking about a former Ajax player. We're talking about an Ajax manager going in there. We're talking about a player who United scouting department love. They've tried to sign, they tried to sign me on more than one occasion before. You know, you're losing Pogba, Fred McTominay. United player with a three. We imagine Ten Hag might stick with that, Scott, at a three. We don't, we don't know, but imagine he will. So I, I think, you know, and it's a world-class centre midfield. I, I, would, I haven't had it confirmed. I haven't spoken to anyone at United on the subject, but it wouldn't surprise me if they emerge as contenders. Ericsson was certainly be on hand to earn a pretty penny there with the wages that United pay their players. Uh, Sean, <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll talk about Eric Ten Hag and Darwin Nunes in a little bit, but obviously you do watch a lot of United because it's inevitable that everyone watches United given the amount they're on TV. Mm. And I thought you were just going to say because Sean's from London that he watches a lot, you know. Yeah, <laughs> that's a bit of a point. Oh. <laughs> uh, fair, fair point. Uh, Sean, obviously, the world knows about the failings at Old Trafford at the moment. From an outsider perspective, you have no fondness towards United. I know that the day that Tottenham beat United 6 1 is something that, that has uh, been the butt of jokes uh, coming from your end. <laughs> Uh, for a long time since. Uh, but what, what are you making of the problems at United at the moment? It feels like you must be so bored of this because it's just seems honestly like Groundhog Day. <laughs> it's every single day since um, Ferguson left, honestly. Um, I, th- I think it's so hard because there's a lot of, it does feel like there's a lot of kind of revisionist history sometimes as well. Like you get, you know, maybe... If it's the summer windows, you kind of get your expectations up and then you realise you can't just get to that level yet or whatever. And I think I think you were saying the other day, like when you're watching the Man City Liverpool game, like these are these are the two kind of blueprint clubs. These are if you're going to run a football club, this is the way that you should do it. The way that they've grown in the last five, six years as as rivals. Obviously, they're significant investment, but, you, you know, Manchester United should be able to rival in that sense. It just feels like there has never ever been that kind of everyone on the same page mentality at Manchester United for me, and I think I have like a lot of reservations about Ten Hag if he can make the step up, if he can adapt well, if he's the right man. But I think if you're going to go for Ten Hag, you just kind of do have to go all in. And I think when people say like you're just going to have to deal with being like it might get worse before it gets better, you actually have to deal with that. You're going to have to deal with maybe finishing sixth or seventh for two more years. You might have to be like Arsenal where you're kind of like holding on to these little crumbs of just hope. You play one good game out of three, but you can start to see where everything's coming in. I think that's probably the easiest way back because you've tried the big spending route. You've tried the quick fix route. It's just not worked. Yeah, that. There's a lot of suggestions that United need to throw in. They spent, what, £1.2 billion over the last 10 years or whatever to find themselves as seventh in the league or eighth in the league or wherever they are at the moment. I don't really look at the table anymore. It's not necessarily... Liverpool have proven that you don't have to throw world record fees at every single player, even though they spent, what, £75 million on Virgil van Dijk, which was a big fee for a defender at the time. But obviously, they, they sold Coutinho months before or weeks before for... 100 and whatever it was million and mm-hmm. reinvested that money to the point where it was smart and that's how Liverpool have done it they bought Mo Salah for 30 35 million from Roma made him into a star and you think of 
I've said this numerous times, and this, it was said by, I think, Rio Ferdinand earlier this week as well. How many players can you think of over the last 10 years who United have actually improved? Bruno Fernandes, maybe, although his form isn't great. And then you look, the only other place you look is the academy players who come from nothing, essentially. So, and Marcus Rashford's in probably the worst form of his career at the moment. So Eric Ten Hag there, you mentioned Sean, but Graham, uh, obviously we put out a story on Eric Ten Hag's future earlier this week, uh, despite suggestions that his head could be turned by Germany. As we understand it, it's just a case of sorting everything out. And we, while we can't say it's absolutely nailed on that he'll arrive at Old Trafford just yet, it is looking likely. Is, is, how far away would you say that it is? Yeah, it's pretty close. Can I touch back on that Liverpool? One little thing yeah. though, with Liverpool is, is about the wages. And the wages can't be low. Fees can always be paid. It's a wage structure. Liverpool at the moment, their highest paid player is Virgil van Dijk, the aforementioned Virgil van Dijk, on £250,000 a week. Liverpool at the moment, I don't think I have a player in the top Premier League's top 10 highest earning players. That's the key to their success. It's a harmony. It's building a squad like that. So I think Man United will look at it, probably got five or six players ahead of him on salary, which is where the issue with Manny and Salah, which we'll touch on in another episode, that's the issue with them at the moment. So, yeah, but so, and this is where Tan Hag has to come in. He has to bring in his ideas. And I think that's what it's not delaying things. The talks are ongoing. We know he, he's in theory accepted the job. He's just getting into line what where he sits in the hierarchy because, you know, looking at my hierarchy is very hard to explain. We said in the story, what is Darren Fletcher's role? What is John Murta's role? And we're touching Ralph Ragnick there. And and we know Ragnick had said he didn't have a, we didn't have a, a massive say in it, but obviously Ten Hag was his recommendation as well to John Murta. And, you know, I, I do wonder, I do wonder if we see a long-term future for Ragnick off the back of the Scott of the appointment. I don't think Ten Hag will say get rid of him, but I do wonder if Ragnick is going to be there in the long term. But that is part of it. He wants to know that he's going to, he's not, he doesn't want the final, he doesn't want the final say. He doesn't want, I want um, Erling Haaland as my number nine, that's it. But he wants to have that say in, in the process. And I think he's just making sure of that. I think the Leipzig links were a bit mischievous um, mm-hmm. from those in Holland on his part, but I'm not sure United bought it, you know, <laughs> considering Leipzig, how well they're doing. They're nearly in third, aren't they? So, no, it's not an issue. It's getting done. And, yeah, he's just making sure that everything is where it wants to be. The backroom staff, it's not a major say United would bring in as many as many as he wants, but he 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 is the one who wants to make sure that everything's in place. He has no problem working under the sporting director or the football director system as it is as United currently. You know, he's been he's been raised in that system. These continental coaches, that's how they work. So no, it's a matter of um when rather than if. We always said Easter was the deadline, Scott. And I think in, in theory it will be agreed by Easter when it's when Penn is put to paper, not so sure. And obviously the Dutch Cup final this weekend has probably delayed things because it's PSV Ajax and Ten Hag. I don't really doesn't want to lose this. So um yeah, I think the official confirmation might be a few weeks away, but I think the agreement is very close. There's no reason why they have to make it public as long as things are kind of t- sewn up behind the scenes. And you to- you touched on Ranik there, Graham. We I can't remember whether we actually put this into the world or whether we spoke about this, you know, just between us, but it, obviously Ranik has not really had, he's not been in the process in terms of interviewing that kind of stuff, but we have reported that John Murta really takes Ranik's opinion, hmm. opinions quite seriously and factors them in. United are trying to put the footballing decisions in the hands of footballing people rather than accountants or businessmen in that sense. 
Uh, and we kind of did suggest, I think, that if United did go down the Pochettino route, how could we see Ranić and Pochettino working together? But maybe while the Ranić position hasn't yet been defined, you can see a way that Ten Hag and Ranić work together, can't you? Yeah, clearly the, the cross paths and, you know, it is the fact that Ragnik likes him, he likes the way he works and they have similar the similar ways of working. Obviously, United fans hope that Ten Hag is somewhat more advanced than Ragnik, given the way he's playing um, at the moment. And yeah, it's a curious one. I I, I would like Murta to, I think we need John Murta to come out and explain Ragnik's position. And I don't, I don't, it's a strange that, one. That, should that not already be defined now, though? Well, obviously, they have to confirm his position. They will, they will say, obviously, he's interim until Ten Hag is technically appointed and he'll remain that. So I'll be curious to see what United come out with. You know, it wouldn't surprise me if he walked away. Uh, I'm brutally honest, it wouldn't surprise me if he did. But I think John Merton needs someone else in there so it works to a certain degree. It, it, it's really and, and Ragnick's one of those. I can see it in your face, guys. Isn't it? Whenever United we talk about Ragnick, it's a it's a bit of a sigh, isn't it? It's a bit of a because if he if he remains at the club, all we're going to get is 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 United's actual transfer targets. Then we'll have Ragnick's transfer targets, and he'll be annoyed if we don't get him. I'll be pleased if we don't get him. So, can you imagine I, ten, 10 Hag if Ranick does stay at the club? He's going to have Ferguson in the stands looking over him, and he's going to have Ranick sat next to him looking over him. He's going to have Pochettino next to him, invited guest. Pochettino invited guest next to Fergie looking down. <laughs> yes, indeed. Uh, Pochettino is, it doesn't really seem like he's on the scene anymore. I'm sure we'll talk about Pochettino in future episodes, and Sean would be a good person to talk about Pochettino with, given the experience of watching Spurs under Pochettino over the last few years. But uh, we'll just move on to a potential transfer target for United. We've uh, we've reported this on nightman.com on Tuesday this week about Darwin Nunes and potential interest from Manchester United. Uh, a number of scouting missions from United delegates going to watch him play for Benfica. He scored a hat-trick at the weekend. United had an up-close and personal view of that. Uh, Enison Cavani has also recommended Nunes, who's his fellow countryman and potential successor. Um, on in the international stage uh, to United as well. Uh, but in terms of the pecking order, Graham, like how important is a centre forward to United at the moment when you have a midfield of McTominay and Fred and Paul Pogba's leaving? Yeah, I think ideally, as, as we said on last week's show, there's a, there's a bit of a rebuild, rebuilding job, you know. There would, in an ideal world, United scouts are pushing massively for Paul Torres and another to come in at centre-half, but that's been put on the back burner to a certain degree because they know they need at least one midfielder, at least one. They're looking at a wide player, which we know they like Anthony, amongst others. But at number nine, you know, Cavani is leaving. We know that. Ronaldo is likely to leave. We know that. So I think if Ronaldo does depart and that frees up his wages, I think we will see a concerted effort for that number nine. Uh, just to follow Sean, I'll bring you back in a second, but just to follow up on Nunes, Graham, regarding his style of play, in case there's perhaps any fans who haven't watched enough of Darwin Nunes, he did obviously score the goal that knocked, knocked Ajax out of the Champions League a few weeks ago, managed by Eric Ten Hag, obviously. So you'd think Ten Hag would have some kind of idea about how good a player he is. Uh, but what, what type of player can United or whoever he ends up joining? Because we have also reported that he's interesting in a number of Premier League clubs and favours a move to the Premier League. What kind of player will whichever club gets him be getting? He's not dissimilar to Cavani. He's a number nine. 
all action. You Uruguay are very powerful up front at the moment. Uh, Maxi Gomez as well. You Uruguay looking very strong. And Cavani, obviously, he's got his looking over his shoulder because he still wants to be starting the line uh, with Luis Suarez at the World Cup. So it, it, it there's a glut of young players coming through. But yeah, Darwin Nunes, he's a player who really has kicked on in the last 18 months. He's got he's, he's 25 and 24 this year. Yeah, he's, he's a fabulous player. He really is. And I say he's a proper number nine, and I think he would suit the Premier League. It's like Cavani when he was going through his twenties. We always thought he was a Premier League player, and everyone did. And eventually, he's come and, and done okay. He's probably like he's stayed here a year longer than even he wanted. But yeah, I think I think he would suit United. I think he'd suit anyone down to the ground. And I know we've suggested Tottenham have looked, etc. Arsenal very keen. West Ham tried to buy him, and and I do wonder where Chelsea. I imagine Chelsea have joined the hunt. I had that word that once their takeover is complete don't rule them out the equation as well because you are getting a um, a hugely talented player and I, and let's not rule the, the Luis Diaz move to Liverpool has made a lot of teams sit up and take notice because Nunes and Diaz were the two star players in Portugal and the way Diaz has come in and settled in England everyone, said, everyone thought Nunes was the better player so they're thinking well if Diaz does that what's Nunes going to be like so that has really helped cement Nunes the interest in Nunes as well yeah, we have obviously reported at the back end of January that United tried uh, United West Ham United tried to sign Darwin Nunes on transfer deadline day and obviously could not get that one over the line. Chelsea interest, Arsenal interest, Aston Villa interest. Aston Villa seem to be in in the mix for every big name going going nowadays because of Steven Gerrard's desires. Newcastle obviously mentioned as well, and Tottenham holding some interest. But Sean, I'll come back to you here. Um, you look at. Romelu Lukaku's position, he is not getting a game at Chelsea. Do you think there's maybe a few too many things for Chelsea to get off? You know, think too few too many things for Chelsea to sort out in terms of the takeover and Romelu Lukaku's position in the team or squad. You'd expect him to leave in the summer given it's just not working at the moment, but we'll maybe save that one for another day. But what do you make of the interest from other clubs such as Chelsea? And is there, can you see a route to Tottenham for him? I think... Firstly, like Chelsea just always tend to go after really, really top players. Like, you remember at the end of the 1920 season on the Lampard, where it was like, oh, he's got the kind of youth academy project going. And then they went and bought, you know, Havertz and Werner and all those guys. So I think, regardless of what their squad looks like, they'll always look to add good players to it. It does look like um, Nunes is one of those you're saying about Diaz, you know, you, you would. Think you would naturally think that he could come here and do have a similar kind of impact. And one we didn't mention was Bruno, who also came from the Portuguese yeah. league. It does, mm-hmm. it does really look like that league translates well to the Premier League. So if there is a really good young talent there, and we were talking also about the Liverpool signings when they were signing like players like Van Dyke, Salah, Allison, Mane, like these guys who weren't playing for top, top, top clubs, but you could see they had the the potential to make that leap because they had these kind of physical abilities. They had these kind of real aggressive tendencies to really play the kind of Premier League way. Um, it does seem like so, like a smarter signing that people would be in for, because the, stri- the striker market doesn't seem very amazing right now beyond, like, you know, Haaland, Vlahovic went in, January, so he's off the table. So it does seem like Nunes is right there as number two. In terms of Spurs, I think it's quite interesting that the entire t- time that, um, Fabio Paratici has been here that he's been trying to sign another striker in addition to Kane 
and I don't know what I don't know where how you could fit everyone on the same team because you know we've got the front three going now of Kane, Son, Kulazewski. I don't know where a number best in the league at the moment comes into that. Yeah, yeah, insane stuff. But yeah, I don't know where you could fit another one in. Maybe that's just for just for depth, depth, or just to give Conte another option. Because I know we, um, they it does seem like we were quite interested in Lautaro Martinez last year as well. Mm-hmm. Um, Dybala, I think. If it, well. it, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, do you think it's it a bit like, like the buying situation, um, Sean? Sorry, do you think it's a bit like the buying situation now, where they're thinking, do you know what? If we can get Harry Kane out this summer, it opens up an awful lot of avenues here. You know, to thinking Kane... That's blasphemy, Graham. <laughs> Harry Kane out this summer. When, when you've got Newcastle with that um, train load of money ready to come down the country and deliver it to Tottenham's door, maybe? No, I think... I think... Dan- I think Daniel Levy's legacy kind of rests on appeasing Kane and keeping Kane because you look at... You know, he's so... he's I think he's about 24 goals off breaking Jimmy... Sh- um, Jimmy Greaves' club record. He's not too far off Alan Shearer's record. I think it would be it would be seen as a massive tragedy if Levy is not able to do what he can to keep Kane. And Once if Kane demands to move on again, there's some Once he comes out and says, "I'd rather have medals than Jimmy Greaves' records," and wants to leave. Well, that happened. It would, it would, it, yeah, it, would, it would depend. It depends where we finish, and it depends on Conte's future as well. So, if say we mm. come fifth and Conte walks, then I think it's a very real possibility that maybe we do cash in and try and rebuild around someone like Nunes as well. If not, then it's keep what we've got at all costs because next season we'll have a real chance to try and close that gap to City and Liverpool to try and at least make some noise in the Champions League. And I know Conte doesn't have an amazing record, but. You know, maybe this is the squad for him. He keep he keeps flip flapping on the squad because they're, you know, when we were in the win loss win loss win loss period, he kept kind of just going. I don't know how we can keep doing this. We need to beat these relegation candidate teams. But then we have been on this run now, four straight wins. Don't forget your FA Cup defeat as well, Sean. (laughs) Never forget that. Um, But it's quite. I said it on um, our Spurs podcast yesterday. It's quite noticeable that when Spurs win now they are taking teams to the cleaners. It's not like when Arsenal win and they played some nice football, but they're winning by one goal or two goals. I think it is quite noticeable that the better teams will t- take these smaller teams apart when they can. Yes, did, with, with, with the Nunes, sorry, Scott, with the Nunes, I did, the only thing I thought with Spurs was the Bentacore because um, you are loving him, aren't you, mm, Sean? He's playing, mm. he, I haven't seen too much of Bentacore. I've only seen one game since he came in, but he's impressed, isn't he? He's very much impressed. He's one of those players that you definitely notice when he isn't there because I think we just lack a bit of depth in midfield right now. But when he's there, we have so much more control in games. He doesn't lose the ball in like really stupid areas. Um, he's had a couple of tough games. I think there were times against Man United and Man City where he wanted a bit more time than he would usually be afforded. Um, but he kind of grew into the games as they went on. I think the thing is, well, he's, he's only 23, 24. Mm-hmm. So he fits the kind of mould where he's still young. He's got a lot to learn, but he's got a lot of experience as well. And that's the kind of profile that I think Spurs should be chasing Nunes fits that bill for sure Yes indeed uh, Benton Kure and Kulisevsky two players at Juventus who were largely panned for being useless uh, have now played a massive part in Tottenham flourishing in the, the last few weeks of the season we also talked about Harry Kane there and I kind of wanted to throw it back to Harry Kane Kane has 
or was obviously Man City's primary target uh, last summer, but obviously, and we'll move into the City section here in terms of departures in a second, but Graham, do you see City returning for Harry Kane? Obviously, they've been uh, interested in Erling Haaland. They're signing Julian Alvarez. Is that one closed? Yeah, Ken. Yeah, I'm... City has sort of downplayed how far how advanced some of their talks were last year. I think they're sorry trying to blame Harry Kane's brother, who gets the blame for an awful lot. I'm not sure he was responsible <laughs> for everything. I think Gary Neville needs to take his share of the blame as well. And yeah, no, I, they're not in for him. No, they're um, City not in for Kane. I do, I do wonder how much of an interest that he might show in a in a in a Nunes or a It'd be interesting as we go forward, and we'll talk about these three three forwards at City as well. I think their futures could determine City's transfer policy as well. But yeah, Haaland is a player who they're still looking at. I think he's their main area of um, concern when it comes to forwards at the moment. But I said Alvarez, who I have been following slightly since the January window, and he's playing out of his skin, that young guy. Wow. He, he looks very special. Yes, indeed. So he will be arriving in the summer. That's already been confirmed. We'll wait and see where Erling Haaland decides to go and what kind of deals are on the table for him. Uh, but in terms of departures at City, Graham, so you mentioned there, there's a number of players who have essentially uncertain futures. So Riyad Mahrez, Raheem Sterling, Gabriel Jesus, who all played parts in the Liverpool game, uh, which was drawn 2-2 at the Etihad on Sunday. Uh, obviously, Mahrez came on as a substitute. Gabriel Jesus made his presence known on the right side. Raheem Sterling, just the one moment that sticks out to me is when Raheem Sterling tried to run at Virgil van Dijk and got absolutely scared out of his skin and just entered van Dijk's force field and just gave him the ball. Uh, I remember that. But obviously they are out of contract in 2023 and City have some work to do here. I think this is kind of uh, overlooked in a sense. While City are very efficient with their contracts and making decisions, those three players have just over a year left on their contract. There's also uncertainty over Ilkay Gundogan and Fernandinho. What's the latest you have on any... You can start anywhere you want, Graham, with uh, with these contracts. What's the latest? Yeah, well, we did a piece um, probably two weeks ago now about how City, the talks were going with these three players, Sterling, Mahrez and Jesus, which talks did begin last summer. Um, so Sterling... Is an interesting one. We know that in December, and let's not let's look back to the start of the season. Sterling wasn't starting for City, and he's only just got back in in the last three three months or so. He's worked hard, but he wanted to go to Barcelona. He asked for a move in December, not 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 transfer request, but he wanted to go to Barcelona. He knew the interest. There was interest in Ferran Torres and Sterling. Pep stepped in. He allowed Torres to go, but he said he wouldn't allow Sterling to go. I understand Barcelona's interest is still there in Sterling. And it's not a match that Sterling's unhappy at City, but I think he is thinking, you know, what is he, 27, 28 now? England national. There's not really anywhere for him to go in England particularly, you know, unless, unless he wanted to go and help Manchester United out of a spot, which he isn't going to do. So then he looks looks abroad. And when you've got a team like Barcelona showing an interest, when you've won everything in England, I'd keep an eye on this one. I, I think Barcelona, if they think they can get Sterling on a reasonable deal, it's one they will revisit. We know Adama Traore, is he staying? Possibly not. And I, so I think there's room at Barcelona for Sterling. And we need to keep an, int- an eye on this one. Mares, you know, he's settled in the Northwest. He's going out with a Northwest girl. He's getting married. I think he will stay. Here's this is another one where he is 20, only 24 now, amazingly. He seems to have been around for so long. 
But interestingly, he started that he started that game on Sunday, and I think that tells us an awful lot about how much Pep Guardiola loves this player. And I thought he played really well. He set up Sterling straight away, and you know Andy Robertson had no impact on that game whatsoever. Pep did that- say as well. I don't know if you caught it in the post match, but he said that he looked at certain players. Uh, for that game and thought this player is the exact fit to play in this game and that's why I picked him mm. and I think he was talking about Jesus there well he did mm. say he said if, I, I don't want to quote him directly but he said something like Jesus is, is the best closing down player in world football he said that a few months ago Pep and he's saying all this yeah he may, he does mean I'm not saying he's lying but he's obviously saying it because he wants him to stay he really does. Want he does roll out that say. line of "This is the greatest team I've ever seen." That was the greatest, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> quite um, frequently. So, so good. <laughs> I think. He's, I think. I, th- I think of all of them, Pep. I think. I think twenty-four-year-old Jesus is the one. It sounds strange, and it, it, he probably will. He could. A lot of people say he's the most likely to leave. But I think he's the one who Pep really, really wants to stay. He's twenty-four. He's got so much in him. He, he's been converted into this right forward, but he can play defensively. And we saw he trusts him in this game. I think I don't know what I think him playing Jesus in that game might go an awful long way to persuade him to sign a new contract because he's saying, look, this is the biggest game of our season. It's the biggest game in world football and you're starting for the best team in the world. So I think Jesus might, might be persuaded to stay. There is interest in him. Dortmund love him. <laughs> Not a lot of teams like Jesus. He'd suit Atletico. He'd suit an awful lot of teams down at the ground. But yeah, these talks are ongoing. But if it does get to the summer, Guys, these three haven't signed. City City want these deals done. They don't want any of these guys leaving on free transfers. So if none of these have signed by the summer, this could change City's outlook in terms of incomings as well as outgoings. Uh, and uh, Fernandinho and Ilkay Gundogan are mm. two other players who have uncertainty around them. What's the latest on Fernandinho, Graham? Do you think that is the end of the season, the end? Well, I, I think there's a lot of options out there for him. Does he become player coach and stay? Does he move to America with New York City? I, th- I think basically it's like um, Fernandinho is it's like Tom Cruise at the end of uh, Top Gun. He's going to be able to choose his own his own destiny if he wants to become um, a player coach, if he wants to go to New York, if he wants to move elsewhere. You know, I think it's going to be down to him. I don't think he's got a big role to play in the future. But um, yeah, I think it'll be up to him. And we'll see. Gundogan's an interesting one. We haven't heard much on him, have we? He's, he's out of contract in 18 months as well. But does that time with the Declan Rice interest, which we know that City do like Declan Rice a lot. And some people question, is there room for him? But, you know, if there's no Fernandinho and Gundogan's in his last year, there's plenty of room in that midfield for Declan Rice. Sean, this is a debate that uh, Graham and I had before you joined uh, earlier, before we started recording. Mm. Is our Man City better when they have one holding midfielder in there, like a Rodri, and then you have two eights? Or can you see mm. a world where City play Rodri and Declan Rice, for example, with three ahead plus a striker? Because I, I agree with Sean that I thought, I said to Scott, he wasn't sure. I said, if Declan Rice is in that midfield instead of Silver for that second half, City don't lose. City win that game. I think Pep would love a player like Declan Rice. Because, you know, if, year on year, he takes on so much more responsibility at West Ham. Um, I was at um, Brentford West Ham at the weekend and West Ham looked absolutely shattered from just the long season they had and the no rotation. Rice was the only one really piecing things together. He was collecting the ball, he was progressing up the pitch. I think, you know, he's got so much experience for a young player. We talked about that before. Um, he's got international experience. He's played in the Euros final, for God's sake. I think there's, that is definitely someone that Pep would love and he would just 
make the kind of complete midfielder. I think he would love him and he would play him with Rodri. Okay. Yeah, we did uh, put a report out last week, uh, which came out after the podcast about interest in Declan Rice coming from, obviously Chelsea are still in the mix as well, uh, but a lot will depend on their takeover in a sense, I would imagine. Whether they go in for him, uh, Manchester United obviously want to make statement signings. So I think that was uh, that might be on the agenda as well. But Declan Rice is one of the hottest prospects on the market. Even if West Ham manager David Moyes is saying he's going to cost 150 million to any club who wants to buy him. Uh, you can go and go back and read that story on 90min.com as well as anything that we have published over the last few days, such as Christian Eriksen and his future with Brentford from Sean and around Darwin Nunes uh, going to Manchester United, which uh, Graham and I have uh, put together, pieced together. And you can find that now on the site as well. Keep an eye out on our Twitter at 90min underscore football for uh, the latest goings on and some any kind of stories that we publish will go out there, you would imagine. Uh, and you can follow us all on Twitter too. My at is underscore Scott Saunders. Graham is at Graham Bailey. And Sean is at Sean DZ Walsh. Uh, that's a nice little reference to what we were saying before. Uh, we started recording regarding how American I'm starting to speak. But yeah, uh, thanks for listening, everyone. That'll do it for today. And we'll catch you next week for Talking Transfers. <laughs>